Welcome to the Attic Monologues, Episode 2, For the Trees. Heya. Sorry I'm late, I got held up. It's all good. I only just finished making lunch. Was it freshers getting in the way? They're everywhere, I feel you. So, what were you up to? Trying to find a book in the library. Lyrical ballads? Of course, someone's already taken it out. It's only first week, Bells. I'm sure it'll be back in time for whatever essay you need to write. I'd prefer to get the essay done before the inevitable midterm crash. I won't be getting any work done by then. Well, I'm sure you can find a PDF. Surely someone's photocopied it if it's that important. It's not the same. I like having the actual book in my hands. I like feeling it. I like being able to flick back and forth rather than endlessly scrolling for that one keyword. I swear I saw a second ago. Then I guess it's totally hopeless and you may as well drop out now. No need to be dramatic. <laughs> I'll pull through, as I always do. I can suffer the PDF, I suppose. Anyway, you ready? Yep. Just picked one out with a very elaborate selection process I like to call tripping over holding a stack of papers and snatching the first one that comes to hand out of the air. I was wondering about the mess. It's okay. By the end of next week, I'll have a floor drove to cover it up. A stunning plan. I see no flaws in there at all. <laughs> we used to be freshers, you know. I'm sure we were just as much in the way. I guarantee you all the older years hated us just as much as we disliked the new generation. It's the circle of life. We survive first year that gives us a certain level of complaining rights. Hmm. And next year they get to do the same thing. It's, it's character building. Ignoring that incredibly unhealthy outlook on the world. Monologue? Yes, I picked out a super fun one, as you probably expect. Ooh, more doom and gloom then? Of course, with a healthy side serving of existentialism and skeletons, from what I've skimmed through. Just what every monologue is missing. The speaker is Hester de Terre, an eclectic woman with a distracted and tired personality. Hey, maybe you should read this one. Are you saying I'm eclectic, distracted and tired? I mean... Wow. I say this with the most love and fondness in my heart. I'll take eclectic as a compliment and the tired as a fact. Distracted would be more your forte, not mine. You're literally worse than a golden retriever. I'm sorry, what were we talking about? There was a crow outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to distract you. Was what I did last time good? Oh yes, you are perfect. What you did was perfect. <laughs> um, you just get comfortable, um, curl up there, and I'll be here. Okay, whenever you're ready. Have you seen it? Have you dreamed of it? Do you feel it in the shadows, that pressure, like the air before thunder, heavy against your skin? As it crept through your thoughts like reaching branches, burying its roots so deep inside that you can feel the itch of it growing through your veins. It's tangled in your hair, and when you brush through the strands with shaking fingers, they come away with mud and leaves that you have not left the house in weeks. You convince yourself that if you just wash it enough times, the dirt will finally fall away. You watch it eddy in the plug hole, and when you're dry again, there's a twig tangled behind your ear. It's under your skin, burrowing like ants through your veins, curling itself to settle in the spaces between your bones, and you convince yourself that if you'd scratch hard enough, scratch deep enough, break through blood and flesh to earth and green, you might finally alleviate the pressure, 
dirt and insects and roots will spill from your veins, cascade onto the bathroom floor until you are finally dizzyingly empty. You will slump into the bathtub, breathless, crying with relief for just a moment, even as the roots relace around your wrists and your bloody bark begins to stitch back together. Skin. I meant skin. I've been dreaming of the forest for half my life, though I couldn't really tell you when it all began. The years, they, they begin to blur together after a while. Time passes me by as I drift through this life, watching through frosted glass, cocooned in moss, and everything feels so very far away. I'm an outsider, a spectator, a spectre. Do you think those words are related? Am I already a ghost, watching the world go on, unable to touch, held here only by the fact that I've forgotten to die? It might just be the sleeplessness. I haven't slept well in years. It must have begun when I was a teenager. I have a very few true memories before that time, just inky impressions washed away to smudges like a water rust test. So I must treat my memories with trust and believe them. They're the only thing I can claim is mostly mine, whether they really are or not. I was younger, that's for certain. Time still travels in a linear fashion. I was a child whose worst fears were trivial tests that meant nothing, and the burning gaze of my peers, children themselves, who all feared the same things. A child who had lived so long in dazzling sunlight she could not imagine that the dark grey clouds on the horizon would pour down their rain and then decide to never leave. Make a home above her head, while the rest of the world moved on to warmer weather. It was once the storm clouds arrived that the dreams came, though I couldn't tell you if this was causation or coincidence. They came in increments of senses, images first, a single tree, silent, surrounded by void, then more, a whole forest unfolding before my eyes, yet still utterly silent. I could see every leaf, every crack work into the bark. Sometimes I was stood amongst the roots, staring upwards at towering giants. Sometimes I was perched among the branches, able to climb to any height I pleased. Sometimes I was hovering high in the foliage, my vision choked by green. But never above. The canopy is a singular, unbreaking ceiling, the trees threaded together in harmony, the stars, the plants below. It's so dark there that I can see every particle in painstaking definition. Combined with the silence, with the utter lack of feeling, I imagine it must be very much like dying. I was a pair of eyes held inside a vehicle, and nothing else. There's no such thing as true silence in our world. There is always the murmur of people, the chirping of creatures, the buzz of electronics and wires and blinking satellites, your heartbeat thrumming against your chest, your blood pounding in your ears, the background radiation of the universe infinitely expanding. To have all of that suddenly snatched away from you the moment you let your eyelids slip to black. There aren't words for it. The universe has suddenly shut you off, cast you out and you would do anything to call it back. And yet, when your eyes open and the sound rushes in, it hurts. It's too loud here, and you begin to long for the quiet. Once the forest had shown itself to me, sound began to visit it, much in the same way I did. 
an unconscious, subtle fade into being, a build of pressure, a leaking tap filling a basin one droplet at a time, almost against its own will. The first sway of leaves that reached my ears broke the silence like thunder. A single branch, a single leaf shivering high above my head, far enough that no sound should have found me, and yet it shattered the world. For days after, I could hear its echo ringing in my ears. There were no birds in the forest, no insects, no tiny creatures skittering through underbrush on all fours. Even once the trees began their chorus, even once breath came to the forest and danced through its leaves, my dreams remained empty. I could hear the whisper of half-words, half-sounds, but all of it came from the trees. Nothing alive lives there. But you were never alone. Feeling came to the forest, finally. The first time the breeze brushed over my skin, I think I cried. It's hard to tell, the emotions of a dream are so intense, always ready to spill over into the scene, that it's hard to tell whether your heart is breaking or even beating at all. But I felt its fingers skitter across my shoulders, dance through my hair, and it was as if I'd never been touched in my life. Before then, I'd been an unfeeling body, a corpse who'd forgotten to get into the ground, forgotten to decay, to stop thinking at all. Well, maybe I was a little of the way there already. Thoughts slide by like water, only occasionally sinking through, and I, I watch them go with the detachment of a figure who cannot chase after them. I placed my hand against the trunk of my tree, the first tree that came to me in the darkness, that called to me loudest. It's no larger than the others, no greener, but somehow I know it is mine. Its voice is stronger, and it calls out for me whenever I dream. Its bark was rough beneath my fingers, dug into the skin as if it fit there, as if my palm was the very jigsaw piece that might make it whole. There was something there, in the cracks and jagged marks. I could have read entire lives in its lines, I felt. A few months ago, the dream came as always. The forest, the darkness and greenery, the wind and call of the trees. I walked towards my tree with a feeling like homecoming, half sickening dread, half relief and the certainty of comfort. When I reached it, my feet, barefoot of course, stuck with mud and dirt, hit against something buried beneath the ground. I knelt fingers shaking as they brushed away soil that clung to them like it had found a home among the creases and calluses. I dug until the dirt was buried under my nails and my fingertips were bloodied until I had uncovered the whole horrible truth that lay beneath my tree. In museums, you see all those artefacts that have been lovingly scrubbed to shine. They're clean. They glow under perfectly positioned lights and they haven't been touched by actual human hands in centuries perhaps ever. Bone doesn't look like that when it's been buried in the earth. Even if the forest was a blaze of light, even if I could bring things back from dreams and hold them up to the sun, even if I scrubbed it under the kitchen tap for hours until my skin cracked and fell away, it would be dirty. Can such an artefact have ever been clean? Wrapped first in flesh and blood, then decay, then dirt, it was wrong now to think of anything like that stripped and exposed behind glass. 
I pulled the soil away and crowded it in my hand, just the skull. I didn't dare to dig further, for fear that instead of a rib cage and arms and legs, I would find only more skulls. I held it in between my palms and traced the eyes, the jawline, the cheeks. I imagined the person who once would have gazed out at this head, bright sky blue eyes, dragged down by the storm clouds gathered under her eyelids, the curve of her brow, the missing teeth she lost when she slipped head first into a lamppost one icy evening as a teenager. Even as I recognised the woman in my arms, even as my head began to ache with the imagined touch of my own fingers beneath my skin, I couldn't let go. I couldn't move, I couldn't scream, though the sound rose in my chest all the same. Silence had returned to claim me, even as the forest grew louder before me. The trees seemed to bend down, reach their branches towards me in hunger. Who was this insolent creature, they whispered, who had refused to die? Who walked among the living forest but was not of the forest, had not earned her breath the way they had, by straining for the sky, by stealing sunlight for herself? My hand shook, gripping my skull so hard I could hear the very bone beginning to creak. I barely noticed the roots of my tree reaching out for me. They slid through the soil like snakes, lacing their way around my ankles with the soft touch of something that believes itself to be kind. And for a moment, the feeling was one of relief. The kindness was believable and such a welcome relief. Its turn was sudden. One moment the forest was falling silent, like a breath held and hungry with anticipation. The grip of my tree was firm, and the bone between my hands was solid. The next was all noise. The roar of a sudden wind, a hurricane, whipping up the detritus of death from the forest floor, tearing it across my skin. The vines around my legs pulled with sudden certainty, cutting deep into my ankles, dragging me down. The skull vanished, like so much smoke, and all at once I was being buried beneath the earth. The ground is not as hard as walking atop it would lead you to believe. It can shift and shudder with ease, with a strong enough force decides to move it. My tree is far stronger than I have ever been, and it tugged me into the earth like gravity, as if I was passing through nothing more than air. The darkness of the forest was an infinite brightness above me, slowly vanishing in the wake of the true darkness of the dirt. Soft against my skin, moulding to my shape, clinging to me, welcoming me. I reached out towards the air, desperate for anything to hold on to, and watched as the skin across my fingers withered before my eyes, sloughed off the bone like desiccated meat, and exposed the cold bone beneath. Already dirty, of course. I was sure I would drown then. Suffocate isn't quite a good enough word for the dust filling your lungs, for the perpetual downward motion of being buried alive, but as the sky cascaded to dark, as I tasted dirt on my tongue, and my heart burned so strong I was sure it would set me ablaze, I woke. I found myself in my own bed, drenched in sweat, gasping, but undeniably breathing. I lunged for the light, desperate to see, heard the click 
and clack of skeleton fingers fumbling in the dark. For a moment, when the light finally flickered on, there was still nothing but bone. Just for a second, so brief you could believe I had dreamed it, or that the dreams of before had simply lingered momentarily on. I'm not so foolish as to believe I could ever be so lucky. And I was right. In my youth, the forest became something of a comfort, a singular consistency in a world of shifting sand. Now, now it crawls out of my dreams and spills into my waking hours. I barely sleep for fear of drowning, but cannot wake for fear of the things I see. I haven't left my house in weeks. I hear it in the rustle of every branch, the whisper of every breeze. I see it in the hedgerows I walk by, and the faces of every person I meet, twisting into bark and roots and crumbling dirt. I've barred the door and shut the curtain, though I'm sure they'll do little when the time comes. So now I wait to wake up. I wait for this nightmare to end and the forest to leave me behind in dreams. The tap in the kitchen has been broken for months now. It drips steadily into the sink like a ticking clock, like a hammer pounding at the door to be let in. Perhaps I should spend my time trapped in here fixing it. But in recent days, even the echo of it sounds like rain trickling through leaves. The light in the hall flickers if you step too hard on a particular floorboard. And perhaps I should change the light bulb or uproot the floor or find a map of the electrical wires. But the creak of the wooden boards is the creak of branches in the wind and the light dapples across the ground as if cascading through a canopy overhead. I have a hundred messages blinking angrily at me from my answer machine, though I've piled several blankets on top of it to muffle its ringing and hide its light. Perhaps my father is worried about me. Perhaps my friends are checking in on me. Or perhaps when I pick up the phone and hold it to my ear, I will hear nothing but the sway of trees in the wind. The voice of my tree, crying out to me, calling for me to find my way to where I've always been, where I was always meant to be. So I sit on the sofa in the living room. I sit and I wait for this nightmare to end and my life to continue. Well, no. No, that's not it at all. I sit and I wait for my resolve to crumble. I sit and wait for the knock at my door that will be roots and vines spilling over the threshold and dragging me away. I wait for the day I open my mouth and all that pours forth is birdsong. I wait for the day I can no longer stand back up, even if I wanted to, for I've grown roots and twisted into wood and begun a forest all of my own. It's inevitable, really. I've accepted that much at least. So you must help me. I wouldn't ask for you if it wasn't certain. I know the price it costs and I'm more than willing to pay. Just save me. From myself. From the forest. I don't want to be forgotten beneath the earth. I don't want to lose myself. I don't want to know with utter certainty what lies beneath each and every tree in the forest and how far it reaches. Or if it ever ends. Whatever the cost, I'll pay it. Uh, sorry, that one was a bit much. I didn't, I hadn't read it before. I, I would have warned you if I knew. 
no, it, it's okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. I just, I'm okay, really. Just uh, a lot, maybe. Just vibe with that a little too hard, I guess. I'm sorry, really. I should probably read the monologue beforehand next time, huh? <laughs> probably a good idea, yeah. I reckon we need we need something nice after that, um, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. I bought marshmallows yesterday. Hot chocolate and movie night. I mean, I should probably do some work. Okay, fine. But only if we watch Doctor Who, one of the good ones. Yes, okay. I'm feeling werewolves or Shakespeare. Or both. Both. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. The Attic Monologues are written and produced by Morgan Greensmith. It is directed by Ellen Clohessy and sound designed by Wilkie Morrison and Anna Leclerc. In this episode, you heard the voices of... Atlas Morgan as Nix Ryland. Anne Lorian as Bella Crow. The logo was designed by Ailey Lang. The social media is run by Son Briarwood. Find us on Twitter at Attic Monologues and on Tumblr, Instagram and Facebook at The Attic Monologues. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review or tell a friend to listen. Any comments or questions, shoot us a message or email us at theatticmonologues at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Episode 3, A Bird's Eye View, will be out on Wednesday 26th of May. See you then!